There once was a man named Austin Sweepleman. He was like any other man you would know. Meticulous in his ways. Editing of his podcasts. But little did he know, his death was imminent. Oh, no! Hi, I'm Tanner Richard Kraft. I'm Austin Sweepleman. <laughs> I'm Tim M. Sullivan, and I guess I'm taking over editing this one. <laughs> and today we have a special guest. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm Joseph Tronicek. Whoa! Austin, I didn't say you could move. Fuck. <laughs> All right, this bit's done. And uh, welcome to uh, the Bomb welcome Squad to... Podcast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, welcome today... to the Bomb Squad Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a film about a man and all the little details that push him into the future. Of course, I'm referring to. Uh, Mike Mills, come on, come on. We're going to be talking about Hey, Mike listen, Mills. I love come on, come on, too, but no, no, no. Today, today, we're talking about Mark Forrester's Stranger Than Fiction. The movie where if you walk up to someone and say, how do you feel about Will Ferrell? They say, oh, I hate Will Ferrell, except for Stranger Than Fiction. That's the consistent trend I see with people. Uh, we that, call these people psychopaths. I mean, is, Joseph, how much experience do you have walking up to people on the street asking them on their opinions about Will Ferrell? I have plenty. I, uh, I majored in it in college. I, I don't ask people about Will Ferrell. I uh, that's, think that's why you're not famous. This man's not living in 2004. How dare he? <laughs> Before we get into our thoughts on Stranger Than Fiction overall, I have a sort of a dual question here because it depends. It's the the question you're getting is different depending on who you are. If you have. Uh, not seen Stranger Than Fiction before you watch it for this podcast, what kind of expectations did you have going into it? If you have seen Stranger Than Fiction before you uh, before this podcast recording, as in like you watched it well before this one, um, what kind of movies were you watching at the time you watched this one for the first time? We're going to start with... Do, do, do Austin, was this a first time watch or no? <clears throat> um... The first time I saw Stranger Than Fiction, I should do like a narratory voice for this instead of the usual screaming. Um, Austin considered whether he should do a narrator <laughs> voice instead of the usual screaming. It was something that he was feeling grand anxiety about. The first something time that I saw he would Str probably tell. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I saw Stranger Than Fiction was. He was annoyed by the young fellow who was. <laughs> 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 the first time I saw Stranger Than Fiction was my freshman year of college, roughly about eight years ago. But, like, if you go all the way back to 2006, I was just a modest 12-year-old. Like, take a good look at that year, and you might start to see why Stranger Than Fiction was sort of an outlier by, like, Hollywood standards. Like, the aughts were a weird time. Anybody who lived through them, like, knows that a lot has changed about art and culture since that decade ceased. Uh, what, like, take... Wait, wait, what was it? Wasn't 2007 the year of, like, there will be blood and no country for all of them? But we're yeah, but this is 2006. 2006. <laughs> oh, this, is before, this was before the cultural change. Yeah, you're change. fine, fine. <laughs> but, like, let's, let's take, for instance, the three films that beat Stranger Than Fiction the weekend that it came out at the box office. Flushed Away, The Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause, and Borat. I personally can attest that I was very excited to see Flushed Away. <laughs> <laughs> I was very excited to see Borat. 
Uh, it was it was November 10th, like the middle of what should be Oscar season, but escapism was kind of kicking the shit out of everything else until the ball dropped in Times Square and it changed years. Like, November was Borat, Happy Feet, Casino Royale, Santa Claus 3, and Flushed Away, with a torture porn movie just barely edging out at number 6, Saw 3, leaving Stranger Than Fiction down at lucky number 7, like hosting all the other dramas. The next month, we'd see similar trends, with Night at the Museum taking December, Happy Feet at number three, Aragon of all fucking movies at number four, with only the pursuit of happiness, with Will Smith managing to break the trend and land at number two, you know, with all the escapist films. And believe me, I was mostly on that train at that moment, along with the rest of this traumatized country. Save for the fact that I'd taken to watching, like, NC-17 movies behind my parents' backs. Because at that point, I found intensity more interesting than storytelling or formalism, because I was 12. And that habit mostly of, like, placing value in shock over other things led me to ignoring this film until I got older. Because I figured when I got done with the NC-17 movies, I'd just move on to all the R-rated ones. Then one day, I'm alone in my apartment, and I'm going through my whole, like, Charlie Kaufman's a genius phase. And that that was like a trail of breadcrumbs that led me to this movie. And the Listen, to be frank, Charlie Kaufman kind of is a genius, but I'm not, like, in a phase or anything. This is post-phase. Right. <laughs> I never left my Charlie Kaufman phase, if I'm going to be honest with y'all. I am perpetually in my Charlie Kaufman phase. All right, Tim. I do believe that this was not a first-time watch for you, and if your letterbox rating is any indication, you really love this movie. So what kind of movies were you watching around the time you watched this for the first time? So I'll take you back to basically um, my middle school experience. Uh, I watched this in eighth grade. Basically, I I would say that uh, middle school is sort of where I started my journey towards becoming a filmmaker because I was just making like little movies with my friends, just like dumb little LARP things on a video eight camcorder. And it definitely gave me a passion for just like making movies and uh, helped me to cut my teeth on editing a little bit but I, I was far from what one might call a film buff um basically anything that i was watching was um like pixar or dreamworks animation or a star wars or a dbz movie i i, I didn't know about films what are films i never heard of them um, but there was there was one actor who I, I enjoyed his work quite a bit, and that was Will Ferrell. Uh, 2004, my family went to see Anchorman, and it was probably the hardest we'd laughed at a movie at the time. Uh, and then as soon as I came home, NBC's airing Saturday Night Live Best of Will Ferrell Volume 2. So I see that, and I'm, I want to see more of this man, this silly man. We buy the DVDs of uh, Best of Will Ferrell. Those are on repeat pretty much my whole middle school uh anchorman's on repeat my whole middle school talladega nights comes out that one's another one i watch a lot so then 2006 comes and uh stranger the fiction comes out and uh i remember thinking this looks a little different uh so i'm, I'm interested to see what it has in store for me um yeah <laughs> i'm interested to see what it has in store for me yep all right, now, Joseph, well, we're, gonna, we're gonna get into that. Oh, right! We're not talking about the movie yet. Now, Joseph, I remember. Now, remember, we're keeping it to your expectations. Yeah, of course. Um, this was, I believe, you watched it for the first time yesterday. Is that right? Yes, yes, I watched it for the first time yesterday at like three in the morning. <laughs> well, that's the ideal time to watch it, of course. Well, it's what, a very I, ideal time to watch. What expectations do you have going in, man? 
I remember you saw the director and you went, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I did see the director and kind of go, oh, shit. Because I, I, of course, have seen a couple of his other films. I like Christopher Robin. I do Woo! really like that film. I, uh, I uh, want to, I want to lean to the fact that that film is written by Alex Ross Perry, but like you know, <laughs> I think that there's an element of that maybe in there. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm in, I don't love Perry a lot, all of Perry's films, but I think that like you know, he's a good writer. Um, and then so yeah, I saw the name and I was like, all right, well you know, World War Z is kind of a mess, and you know, <laughs> uh, Quantum of Solace is even more of a mess. <laughs> and <laughs> in his defense, though, there was the writer strike. I don't think even a that's, great director could have solved that. <laughs> I mean, a lot of stuff got you know tumbled by the writer strike in that case. So yeah. like you know, I was like. I don't know. I I, th- I think I saw the name of the director and I was a little bit on guard. I'm just like, I think that, you know, I think Christopher Robin's good. I think that maybe this could be good if a little bit like covered per se, whenever it comes to how it's directed. Um, and, you know, so yeah, that's where I was going into it. Uh, in 2007, I was not like fully into movies. I think I was just like, I, I don't think I was a w- self-aware in 2007. I was in elementary <laughs> school. So, <laughs> like, there's a certain moment where you become, like, self-aware of your reality. I was not self-aware of my reality. Like, I liked movies, but I, I was just not... I was not there yet. <laughs> yeah, so... I guess I watched this at 3 in the morning. I was anticipating a Mark Forster film, which means... It's it's okay um and i was not aware of reality whenever i was seven years old (laughs) you were you were like pretty college yeah and i was like really jacked to see flushed away i have to admit like listen listen i get it flushed away is pretty baller i have a pretty distinct memory of not actually being able to sleep the night before i was like i was gonna see this damn movie and it's gonna be good flushed away flushed away is cinema if you have if you have yet to rewatch it as an adult keep it that way i want you to keep your memories pure (laughs) like i don't think i would remember what the layout of my bedroom was at that time if i did not have the memory of being just like super excited to see flushed away <laughs> that's the answer <laughs> so um so for me uh, i i've obviously seen this before this is actually a movie i love this move this podcast is actually kind of similar to the Moneyball podcast in the sense that this is a movie that i put on the schedule and i was insistent will stay there i'm not letting it leave this is that kind of movie for me because i love stranger than fiction i'll get into more why before but I'm going to kind of give you an idea of what uh, I was when I first watched this movie. It's when I was falling in love with movies. This is uh, this is one of the critical stepping stones for me to fall in love with cinema at a deeper level. Not quite make me want to become a filmmaker. It's not on that track. It's not that kind of special, but it's what made me fall in love with movies and know that this was like a true passion of mine. Uh, when I first watched it, I loved it so much. I was uh, 15. Uh, so the year is 2013. It was in December of that year. I loved it. So, 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 so much. And I went, I want to see what else this director's done. So I went on my way, and I watched a movie called Finding Neverland. 
and I loved that movie. And I kept going. I said, okay, what else has this guy done? Monsters Ball? Let me watch that. And I loved that movie. And then I saw a movie called Stay. And once again, I loved that movie. Uh, Stay and Stranger Than Fiction, both of those movies, I immediately rewatched them after watching them the first time. Which is kind of building into this hot take I had. Um, I was telling Bill Nugget, if you asked 15-year-old or 16-year-old Tanner who his favorite director was, oh. I'd say Mark Forrester. <laughs> and to this day, he is one of my favorite directors. I actually really, really love his movies. I love his style, which made which made me know when you'd still be, oh shit, it's directed by Mark Forrester. I knew this was going to be an interesting podcast because <laughs> you and I clearly feel opposites about him. I, I, uh, like, I, uh, I don't know if I like any of those movies. For the record, I'm not insane. I don't like World War Z either. I'm not that crazy. I'm not super into World War Z. But honestly, I don't even think that's his fault. I think that's a yeah, yeah, for sure. Thing. That is that's one of those films wherever you can feel. I don't think anyone like. could have fixed that mess. So. What other kind of movies were I watching this time? Obviously, Mark Forrester. But this was a movie... I was watching the classics. I'm pretty sure the movie I watched before I watched Stranger Than Fiction was The Godfather Part 2. All right? And, uh... A honestly, film I have yet to see. Oh, wow. This dude hasn't cool. seen Godfather 2? That's awesome. Oh, shit. You're gonna lose your mind when Michael Corleone... <laughs> I love both of those movies pretty equally. Call me crazy. I put Stranger Than Fiction at Godfather 2's level. Call me crazy. I don't care. This is how I feel. I love what I love. Eternals is my favorite movie of the year. Clearly, I'm a crazy person who shouldn't be taken seriously. Petite Maman is the best film of the year, by the way. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Me either. My second favorite is Tick, Tick, Boom. Anyway, moving on. Um, oh, dang. Man. We're just uh, like... I, I saw what your twin thought of Tick, Tick, Boom. I assume you felt similar. I got five minutes into Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh, that breaks my heart. Damn. Anyway, moving on. We're going to talk about what we thought of these mo- this movie overall. Tim, I'm actually kind of excited to see your thoughts because this is the highest rating I've seen you give to a film on Letterboxd other than The Evil Dead. I don't see a lot of four and a half stars from you, Tim. What, what do you think of Stranger Than Fiction, man? So it had been a while since I'd watched it. Um, so I was excited to revisit it and rewatching it. I, I was it was definitely different than I remembered it. It was it was a little little more science fiction-y. And then I realized that uh, the movie I was watching was actually Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> it was not uh, Stranger Than Fiction at all. So uh, then I went to this local store called V-Stock and went and bought a DVD for $4 and uh, threw that on. That's and... wild. V-Stock. I don't, I don't, I've never heard of that store. What, what oh, it's that? such a cool store. You should work there someday. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Full disclosure, Mr. Chonacek works at a V-Stock. Yeah. He owns uh, V-Stock. He is, John, he is Joseph V-Stock. I cannot confirm or deny any of this information. <laughs> his, name is, his name is Joseph Vintage Tronichuk. <laughs> we call that VT. All right. All right. Tim, Mo- keep going. Moving on. It's a movie that I still enjoy quite a bit. I think we've talked a bit about Will Ferrell's performance in that. It's definitely a different performance from what he's given in a lot of his movies, and it was fun to see something a little different, uh, a little less... Uh, 
screamy, funny guy. Um, but he, he still had some good jokes in there. Um, and I, I think it had like an interesting uh, view of just like the author of the story as basically the god of a world that she's creating and just like showing basically what she's doing to her creations it's just so, sort of sort of an interesting take on that uh that, that's something that i've always enjoyed like even when i was younger and didn't really uh know much about films that was just an interesting thing to me o- overall in- enjoyable movie um good, good balance of comedy and uh drama the, the comedy and the tragedy if you will overall good movie enjoyed it a lot uh, Tanner, back to you. Uh, Mr. Zwiebelman, uh, you haven't even given me a hint. So, Stranger Than Fiction is, like, one of those, like, circa 1999-era cubicle movies that got infused with the weird, like, internet culture, self-reflexive movies that were leaking into Hollywood around the time. Like, it features lots of people eating sweet things, like yogurt, cookies, Bavarian cookies, and the whole last five minutes of the screenplay. Lots uh, of shorthand. <laughs> Will Ferrell throws his hat into the beloved circle of comedians who took a break from getting hit in the nuts so they could take a shot at our hearts. Like Jim Carrey in The Truman Show, Robin Williams in Dead Poets. And The Majestic. And The Majestic. And The Majestic. Stranger Than Fiction's a sentimental movie that's probably great to watch on a date. Some of the high points are the compositing and the motion graphics, which kind of remind me of the Ikea catalog scene in Fight Club. Uh, Yo! Yeah. Yes. The film in general, I think, was influenced by Jacques Titi's playtime with its wide shots that make the city look all claustrophobic, trapping Will Ferrell in the frame. Combining that neat look and the minimalistic visual enhancements, and you got a really accessible lens into the sort of boring, busy mind of Harold Crick. Uh, the $30 million budget also brings us cool things that tend to please crowds, like big stars from the time, locations in Chicago, a couple of really wild set pieces like the house bulldozer and the car crash. Uh, the movie also seems to possess some anti-authority commentary throughout that's almost more engaging than its commentary on books and authors. For me personally, it was a lot more interesting watching an IRS auditor get into a sort of an argument with an anarchist than it was watching a famous author obsess over methods of manslaughter. And, uh, like, this is my big thing. I get that the movie's smart by Hollywood standards and flat-out genius by, like, 2006 $30 million budget standards, but I just can't shake the feeling that it dwells more in the realm of, like, airport bookstores than university curriculum, as far as, like, literature. And, like, the little-did-he-know scene feels like a parody of literature professors. The whole idea that there's a really famous author who writes detailed books about everyday people's lives where her sole book-affirming gimmick is that her characters die at the end, that feels kind of silly sometimes. Like, could I ask the question of, like, if you thought that this author's books existed in the real world, would would they be good books? I I don't know, I don't (laughs) think. Whenever describing, like, uh, who's the author in Stranger Than Fiction? Cigarette. Karen Eiffel. Karen Eiffel. I always think of, like, those Nora Roberts books that my mom would read. She'd occasionally just give me a little pat, like, little, like, what's what's happening in the plot? She'd be like, oh, the stepfather, you know, slit someone's throat into sleep, and now there's a trial. Like, look back at the books of, like, 2006, and it's mostly, like, sort of crime fiction and stuff like that. It sounded more like Otessa Moshfeg novels to me, where it's just (laughs) these, like, barreling dark things into the abyss. No, 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 no! You guys are way smarter than me! Wait, 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 wait! 
but that's like my personal taste. And if I do take it at face value, I will have to admit, I do know some, some people who are very versed in fiction, be it films or books, who do greatly prefer if the character dies at the end. Those people are real. Uh, it's a product of its time in a lot of ways, like the main dreaming to play guitar, the boring desk job, the hipster girlfriend, but the broad strokes are more sophisticated than a lot of romantic comedies out of Hollywood. It's no when Harry met Sally, but it's better than you'd expect. Back to you, Tanner. Wow. Your, uh, your whole fucking, this movie isn't that smart, it's gonna really hurt when I talk about how smart this movie is in ten minutes. Take me on. Uh, Let's do this. My heart. My heart. I think I just suffered a heart attack. Oh, my Aroda. All right, Joseph, I'm excited to hear your thoughts. I know you're real mixed on this one, so let's get into it. So I had a journal whenever I was, you know, watching the film, and I realized that the journal is not right here. Uh, but also I looked in that journal earlier, and I was like, oh, that's right. I was writing in a journal at 3 in the morning while watching a film. <laughs> so it's not understandable anyways. <laughs> You um, just said, damn, I was, I'm damn, I'm really tired. And damn, that hoagie looks good when there was a cookie on screen. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, what I was more writing in that journal was, uh, damn, uh, this is two movies. <laughs> I, uh, my, my take of this film is that I... I think there's just a lot of cooks in the kitchen and that it doesn't actually like land <laughs> most places. Like, I think that there's like the person who is coming into themselves story. And I think that there's the writer's story. And while I think that those are connected to each other in ways of plot, and like there are thematic things there, I also think that, I don't know, it's just, it's a really, it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of movie. Um, especially that, like, that ending monologue really complicated some things for me. Because she's like, it was all those little things that made up his life. And it's like, all right, well, how come, why are you in this movie then? Like, because, like, she's sitting there, like, you know, writing his life and, the movie and at the ending she's just like it was all the little things that made him change and it's like wait so the really big high concept thing is not the thing that made him change at all uh okay why 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 are you in this movie like i i actually really liked emma thompson stuff but i'm also like wait a minute so what <laughs> there's just like it seems like two elements just being squished together essentially to me and like the truth is is that like i would say that like you could argue that there's like a superstructure that's built where by building the like writing someone's life on top of it thing but like i don't know like what what's the meaning of some of these things like i i am genuine whenever i say i don't actually like because like it's not saying like too much insightful about storytelling per se actually in the end it's not really about storytelling she talks about all the little things that made him change and i'm like then why were you in this movie i'm like i'm i'm not i'm not gonna lie like i don't understand where the novelist plot like interacts with this movie i i don't and like while i found both of them very entertaining and i found like a lot of the ideas entertaining I, I, I just don't think that they, like, you know, really connect. 
and like i think that they have to like use the dustin hoffman character as just like this like in a way connective tissue but it's it's just it's bizarre and like you know you could see all the characters in like the writing way of extensions of them of each other but like it's just a lot of cooks in the kitchen for the, in this one for me and like i think that almost like you got to pull the high concept part out of this and actually just like do like the little things transforming a person thing like that's that's bizarre but i think that that final monologue really messed me up because i was just like wait a minute here wait a minute what <laughs> are we doing this, here this movie is looking at the mess that it's made and going ah, i have to put this together somehow <laughs> that yeah uh, that was that, i guess that's my take that's kind of where i was and like i actually do think it was a well-directed film to something like it was kind of covered more like it is well to some degree like it looks good like that's <laughs> that's part of it it looks clean there's like there's Shout clean the edit. now i mean i i will admit I, I it also did prompt me to wonder like wait what why does this story need to look clean like where does it aesthetically demand its need to look clean like it's the same thing with all of Denisville news work but uh, the thing is is like where does it demand to look clean um but you know on one level i have a lot to say about that but on the other level it's just kind of like airport bookie in a way but also doesn't really gel because there's these two movies that are together that just don't really connect to me you did like it overall though right i I well here's my thing I think that it's very entertaining in the moment to some degree because like I really like I like the scenes I like the scenes like I like I like Dustin Hoffman's interactions with this guy and I like like I understand why Dustin Hoffman where you know Dustin Hoffman always had like movie productions have problems because Dustin Hoffman apparently I'm saying this apparently is like he definitely likes to be in control of the scripts that he does and like you know he definitely likes to have a lot of input on that stuff and i think that like you know when it comes to yeah that's the repu that's the thing that i've heard about him i think that you can clearly see that he liked the idea of this character and he liked the scenes and he liked these things and like i like the scenes in the film for the most part like sometimes i think they're like very very overplayed like it's bouncing between this like oh this is a well written scene and oh this is really over this is really overdoing it <laughs> but but um you know i overall like you know there's a lot of great acting there's a lot of great performances i think that like you know obviously like and they clearly seem to be having like you know a good time putting together this movie but i also think that there's that incongruence of like I don't think that these two movies connect to each other. Like, and I think that the film knows that. And that's why that ending monologue basically tries to go, all right. <sighs> okay. I know I said a lot of things, but here. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, that's, that's all my fair. Take. It's all a good, smart, nuanced take. Uh, I am much more simple minded. I, I see movie like I give five star. Um, I'm not, I'm not that simple-minded. I don't, okay, I hand out five stars like candy, but not Tanner, like that much. Tanner, it's a decent candy. Don't, don't ever call yourself simple-minded. 
Thank you. I you just you know me. You all know me. I really love movies, and I can be really nice. I maybe too nice, but <laughs> I can maybe be too nice sometimes. But it's just how I feel. But I really love Stranger Than Fiction. I I love this movie a lot. I really love the two plot. I literally love the two kind of simultaneously existing plots, and I kind of love how they coalesce there at the end when um Harold Crook finally calls her. I think Emma Thompson gives a really brilliant performance as like having a fucking breakdown at the realization that she's killed eight people. <laughs> I think that would fuck me up personally. Uh, that's See, I haven't killed anyone though. That's such a like tonally weird thing in there though, where it's like I've killed eight people, and it's like I think she's giving a look, Emma Thompson is just a really great actor. Like let's she's be Dame honest. Emma Thompson. Let's and be also honest. like yeah, I'm, I'm, she's clearly connecting to the writing part of it because you know she is a writer and she does this and like you know yeah. I think that I think that anybody who has written anything. And watches this movie definitely has that feeling of like, oh yes, this is this is sometimes what it's like. Not smoking, clearly. Yes, watching like, you know, imagining horrible deaths of people, but not smoking specifically. Like we don't smoke anymore. As Austin pools on that vape he is <laughs> Austin's like, uh, you may not fit. <laughs> I do. I have lung cancer goals. What can I say? They pay me a lot to smoke on. No, Austin. Austin. Austin saw Breaking Bad and saw it as life advice. All right. So he's trying to get the lung cancer part done as fast as possible. The moment I actually related to the most in the movie was the moment whenever she goes to see Dustin Hoffman, wherever he's like, "Well, you know what? Now that you've changed this, it isn't a masterpiece." It's, okay. it's just okay. And her being okay with it just being okay. That's a pretty, like, you know, whenever you have to make the decision of what your intentions are over what people might consider good. That's a pretty relatable yeah. moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. I get that for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really love Maggie Gyllenhaal. I love her character in the movie. It also helps that when I watched this in 2013 is when I uh, stopped being a rightoid and started slowly going down my left-wing politics route. <laughs> so seeing basically a sort of leftist-type character in a movie is pretty great. You know, fuck the tax man, down with the IRS. I, I now have much more nuanced takes, like fuck George Bush. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> that really killed Austin. Love you, dog. <laughs> Um, I really love this movie, of course. I was just talking about... I really love Maggie Gyllenhaal and Will Ferrell in this movie. I love them as a couple. I think they're really cute and sweet, and I kind of really buy how it develops. Uh, it seems really real. Uh, nothing wants to make me throw up in a good way. In a good way, more than... I brought you flowers. That has to be just so sickly sweet in just the most perfect of ways. I want to throw up because it feels like too much sugar. Uh, I think they have really good chemistry as a couple. And I really love them. I love, like Austin was saying, the, the like that sort of Ikea furniture scene from Fight Club type overlays. I eat that shit up. When movies do that, I go, yes! That is a super stupidly simple thing you can do to make your movie look cool. Yes! I think more movies should do this. See, I think I th Dune I think Dune would be better if it had Ikea style overlays telling me how much every shot cost. I think that a lot of films <laughs> Dude. Um, have <laughs> elements wherever it's like, oh, look, you made a perfect object. Wait, why, why didn't you make a perfect object? Like, I, I, yeah. why? I, um, I, but and I, 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 and I think that this film has things where it's just like, why does this 
look this way? Like, I mean, I know, I know the kind of movie that you're trying to make, but like, should you really be basing it on the kind of movie that you're trying to make and be more focused on the movie that I, you're making? <laughs> I do want to say, I do want to say, I can defend the cleanliness and the aspect of Harold Crick's life at the beginning. He's an IRS agent. He's boring. I think the cleanliness and emptiness sort of makes sense in that case. As it goes on, maybe it could get more dirty. I don't know. But I, don't know. I really love this movie. Some of... Yeah, I don't know. I, I I think that some of the romance in it kind of feels a little bit... Again, airport book is like... That's a very great way of Listen, describing... Joseph, <laughs> I'm a slut. I'm a slut for rom-coms. I oh, believe any whoa. couple of them. How, how do you, you three feel about the line... I want you over and over again when he pronounces yeah, his love. I, I love it. I love it. It's kind of weird and cheesy, but I kind of love it. Yeah, I I didn't remember that. And as I saw it this far, I'm like, oh, I don't know about that one. I, I feel, I have to admit, I do feel a little bit uncomfortable with that line. Uh, I love this movie a lot, though. And I think it's because of one critical key ingredient which is Will Ferrell's performance. I think that's the glue that sticks the whole film together in general. I really love his performance. Joseph, I'm assuming you're a fan of it too? Oh, okay. <laughs> I, uh... Fair enough. You know, I... I think, again, he's good in scenes. I think that everybody is good in scenes in this movie. I also think that there's just again it's just elements wherever he comes off as not being in the scene sometimes too though wherever it's just like he just feels like he's just kind of fake yeah i don't know <laughs> fake yeah and I, maybe that's attributed to like he's in a novel or something like that but like there are just moments where it's just like this is not how, like, you know, it's just, it just feels like you feel the quirk. <laughs> All right. I guess you're not super into it. Austin, you seem more into it, but still not super into yeah, it. Yeah, I, I am slightly more into it than that. I the, the feel the quirk line really kind of got me. Um, God. I think that, I think that internally in the film, if I were to explain how it feels to some degree, is that you don't get anything, like, internal about him. You only get, like, you know the film telling you everything so he's not really like told to give a performance per se there's not really a performance happening because you don't feel any of the subtextual elements happening in the film the film gives you everything <laughs> i guess that that's a better way of organizing my thoughts there that's totally fair uh my thing is like you compare this i compare this to like dead poet society and truman show and i think it's sort of a missed opportunity that will ferrell doesn't hasn't like given a real tearjerker scene in this film like on par with those like the implications of what he's going through are alarming and i definitely didn't want to see him die some poetic death so that some like very sad woman could get praise from like book people but there was no scene where he got to break down my barriers. Like, it was more like an awakening movie where an office drone is revealed to be a normal man underneath it. And when the normal man eventually does something kind of cool, he gets laid. Uh, as far as, like, they chose to take him, I, I kind of bought him wearing both disguises. He certainly plays a killjoy auditor and a guy who, um, 
has unrealized dreams pretty convincingly. I just wanted a scene where he suffers to the point where I cry. That was the missed opportunity for me in this one. It didn't make me cry, which is unusual. And like, that's the positive thing about casting an actor like Farrell or like Carrie or like any of these guys in these roles, wherever you buy the fact that they're not good. They're going to be kind of understated whenever like, you know, they're in the regular world. Like, again, this is the reason why I think Peter Weir cast Carrie in the Truman Show, because like you know, whenever he has to go off the hook, he goes off the hook, and I think that that is a good point. Like you know, I think that they never really let Farrell go off the hook because they're telling you all of the subtext. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed the performance overall. Um, I kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, we we kind of brought this up in the group chat. Uh, like it, it it's. A more muted uh performance than what he usually gives so it's just kind of interesting to see um something a little different from what he normally gives um i th- think you make some good points about uh they, they could have let him take it a little bit further but i did enjoy um basically what he gave um and yeah i, I thought the i thought the movie worked uh i i don't know that i could really see it as anybody else like I'm, I'm sure somebody else could give just as good of a performance but i think Farrell owns it pretty well yeah i guess that's my two cents true next time we do a podcast on a movie i love i'm gonna make sure it has at least a 90 percent of rotten tomatoes before i put it in there whoa <laughs> right. okay boy come on come on come on come on like okay there are a lot of, there are positive elements to the film i don't i'm not hearing from you joseph <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Carol's performance in this movie. I think it's the important glue that holds the movie together. I think it is the critical key to the entire movie. I love the performance. I fundamentally disagree with what both of these guys said, and they're dumb, dumb idiot babies who poo poo in their diapers because of it. Check me. <laughs> that's my that's my ultimate insult. Shit. You are a poopy baby. <laughs> oh fuck! He dissed you good, bro. Like Eminem just comes out of nowhere. God oh shit. Damn it. <laughs> Joseph, I love you, buddy. Whoa! I... <laughs> yeah, I love his performance in the movie. I think it works on every level. I think it is sweet. I think it is kind of nuanced in a really beautiful way. I think there's a lot of layers to it. Uh, genuinely, I really see a lot there. Now we're going to move on to everyone's favorite section of the podcast, returning after a two-week hiatus because I kept going over the last two weeks. We're going to get right into... Tanner's Trivia Corner. Yeah. Uh, so this movie has something in common with Venom 2. <laughs> Austin's reaction killed me. Uh, Tom Hardy wore an earpiece in Venom 2. Will Ferrell wore an earpiece that fed him Dame Emma Thompson's narrative lines, like her narration lines, which helped assist him and the other cast members to reacting uh, more naturally to uh, the, the random things Farrell was seemingly doing, which helped, like, when Farrell would just randomly scream in the sky, he would do it on beat with what the, the narration was, which helped the rest of the cast. A single page of the book can be glimpsed if the movie is paused while uh, Professor Jules Hibbert is reading it. It's just the word-for-word opening narration of the movie as Harold goes about his day. But the page contains a detail that is not mentioned in the film otherwise, which is that Harold's co-worker, Diane Gordon, has been in love with him since the 8th grade, but is too shy to say so. Whoa! And in the shown page, when Harold asks for a file from her, 
She asks for clarification in the hopes that he might just once say good morning to her. And there's like a moment in the film, I think, forever. He doesn't actually like do like reciprocate anything. There's yeah, a no, there, there's a lot of that when he goes to try and uh, when he uh, commits a mass of privacy invasion, when she gets Karen, I when he gets Karen Eiffel's contact information and just commits at least seven crimes. Oh no. Um, when Harold is asked for the product of 67 and 453, he says. Three thirty thousand three hundred and fifty one, but then corrects himself and saying thirty one thousand three hundred and five. The interesting thing about this, he was right the first time. The correct answer to that question is thirty thousand three hundred and fifty one. I think that was intentional to show it that he second guessed the right answer, but then the narration contradicts that. So I don't know. Uh, Dame Emma Thompson didn't wear makeup in a single scene in the movie. She never wore makeup during the movie. The name of Karen Eiffel's novel alludes to the phrase "Nothing is certain except death and taxes," right? The funny thing about this is that Harold dodges his death and Anna dodges paying her taxes. Yeah. So I guess they're not that inevitable, huh? Oh, no. <laughs> that seems like one of those screenwriting things where it's just like... <laughs> it's just a little It's a little thing you sneak in there and you're like... Hello, I'm being clever. I'm a clever boy. Uh, the name of Anna Pascal's bakery is The Uprising. Yeah. Which is the most... A socialist name ass bakery store ever. Harold's two co workers, played by TJ Jodogoski and Peter Gross, uh, you may recognize them because they're most famous for being a part of a sonic drive in marketing campaign for eight years. They were the two, yeah, we're eating food in the car, guys. You know, there's that scene where the narrator describes a guitar as saying, I'm compensating for something, guess what? That guitar is a Cherry Gibson EDS 1275. This guitar is most well known for being made famous by Jimmy Page. I wonder if the filmmakers were saying something when they said, that's the guitar that looks like you're compensating for something. Uh, when Dave, a.k.a. Tony Hale, which I didn't bring this up earlier, I love Tony Hale in this movie. I love Tony Hale in every movie. Tony Hale is so such a great actor. I love him. I love him. Uh, when he turns the lights on in his apartment, it makes the same sound that the communicators make on Star Trek. All right, so here's your room. Or as I like to call it, Sleep Pod 2. Spock. It's one of those subtle character-building details that it's like, oh, that's cool. And finally, the old cinema movie that Harold and Anna are watching together is A Man and a Woman by Claude Lelouch. And then finally, finally, when Harold Crick goes to the movies to finally live his life, uh, he's watching Life is Strange. All right, Austin, final thoughts. Stranger than fiction is adaptation, but for date night. Stranger than fiction is eight and a half, but if you're on a date... Is it essential cinema? Yes, it is. If you have a night where you and your partner are bored and want to watch something cute. Other than that, it's mostly just the coolest movie about a tax auditor. Justin Trunacek, final thoughts, Chloe? Okay, um, it's, uh, what, shoot, uh, coffee brand, like, you know, airport coffee brand Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> Fair enough. Tim, go. Um, yeah, overall, good movie. Um, I enjoyed revisiting it, and, uh, uh, yeah. I love this movie. I think it's a masterpiece. Mark Forrester is a brilliant director, and I really, really do love this movie. And I think uh, Will Ferrell's really brilliant in it, and I think he was the perfect actor to play Harold Crick. I also think Will Ferrell is the perfect actor to play you, the person listening slash watching this podcast. If you are listening to this podcast on any of the audio platforms we're on, uh, thank you very much, very, very much for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, please go down and leave a review if you haven't yet. If you're watching this video on Spotify, 
hey, what's up? We're new here. Uh, why are you here? Do you like Spotify video? I don't know. If you're watching this video on YouTube, thank you all so very much for watching. Go to that in the comment section below and let us know. What do you think of Stranger Than Fiction? What do you think of Will Ferrell? Do you think this movie is good? And finally, should we bring Joseph Tronicek back? This is an answer that only you, the audience members, can decide. Just kidding, we're obviously going to bring him back. That sounds like a definitive no from Tanner. <laughs> no, we're bringing you back, Joseph. We love you. This was great. Uh, in all seriousness, uh, comment below and let us know. Have you ever killed a man by omniscently narrating his life? Comment below and let yes. us know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> While you're down there, hit the like button so we know how much you like us. Hit the subscribe button so you know how much we love. So we, not you, but we, because I'm a narcissist. Let us know how much you love us and hit the bell icon so you know exactly when we uh, upload new videos. And also, because I told you to. Thank you all so very much for watching the video. Join us next week when we discuss Arthur Christmas. That's See a pretty then. good movie. Farewell. We have someone who worked on it. We'll have someone who worked on it. Bye. Farewell. Yes,